0: Positive Radio, 89.9, The
1: Light. In conversation with Clayton.
0: It's in conversation indeed. It's in community conversation even better because during this time of COVID-19, we're wanting to open up the phone lines. Normally on the program, I'm sort of having a chat to our guests. I get to have a chat and ask all the questions. But during this time, well, I'm asking still a fair few questions. You can't keep me away from the microphone that easily. But we want to invite you to ask any question you'd like. We're going to kick it off with Leah Kaminsky in just a song's time from now. She is a physician who is also a writer of incredible novels. So we want to actually talk about these things mixing together. What happens when the science actually mixes with the fiction, with the fake news, with politics as a whole? We're certainly seeing this in a huge way over in the States with uh, Donald Trump, the President especially, uh, seeming to blur these lines as much as he possibly can at the moment. So Leah's take on that and a whole lot more. You can ask more of these questions about how these mix together, uh, what we should be on the lookout for, how do we know what is real truth, what is fake news, these sorts of things. That's all up ahead. Uh, Your questions on 1300 777 899. You can text through anything as well. 0428 899 Leah Kaminsky joining me next. In conversation with Clayton. It's 89.9 The Light Positive Radio in community conversation with Clayton this evening. It is so good to have your company. Uh, once again, you can phone through at any stage. one three hundred triple 777 899 Ask our guests any questions. one 300 It is wonderful to have a chat. To our first guest this evening, Leah Kaminsky joins me on the line. Leah, thanks so much for having a chat. Hi,
1: Clayton. How are you? I am doing really
0: well. It is wonderful to uh, have you joining us for this period of time. Well, thank Thank you you so much. Now, let's give a bit of your bio, first of all, if people want to know a bit more about you. You're an author, but you're a physician as well. Tell us a little bit about uh, the, the, the work path that you've actually walked through.
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> you want the short version? <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so I got into medical school on my English and French marks um, in Panoi School. <laughs> so I was a really good humanities student, but I was determined to be a doctor. And uh, so I went through six years of medical school. And, <laughs>
2: actually,
1: sorry, my stupid phone's going off. That's a bit silly. <laughs> um, sorry about that. Oh, good. Uh, so then I, well, I, I I was a really strong humanities student and loved literature and, and writing. And then through medical school, pretty much had to sort of tunnel vision all of that. So, in order to get through, science wasn't my forte, let's say. Um, I had to forget about everything else. And it was only later, I think, sort of, you know, after my internship, I was, I, I was second year out already working in the hospitals, and I had a bit of an epiphany where the humanities came back into my life um, where I was at a pretty low point and working on a children's oncology ward. And that's when I went back to reading and literature and writing and sort of brought brought the hu- human side of medicine back to me, I guess. Mm.
0: I, I mean, that, this shows a remarkable determination, um, Leah, from my perspective, that here it is, <laughs> sort of the, the, the natural part of who you were was this writer was more in the humanities and yet... You push through for so long just because of your determination. Is, is that sort of determination a part of your natural character as well?
1: Oh, some people call it stubborn. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think you just—I I follow my heart, and often I think it's only maybe several years later that I realise that that. that was a step I really needed to take or that was a direction I really needed to be and I didn't understand it at the time so I just follow what I feel I need to do and at the time there was nothing else I wanted to do except medicine Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was you know because I wasn't a natural for that I guess <laughs> um, that some things had to be left by the wayside. But I think what it's taught me is that, you know, everyone kind of divides their life into little boxes. You know, you can be a, an accountant, you can be an architect, you can be a tradie, whatever, but you can actually be a lot of things at the same time, you so, know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
0: Yeah, so true indeed. Um, and look, once you decided, look, I, I want to actually move into to, to writing and, and, I mean, you've been very successful in your writing as well, won a, a number of awards, Um Take us through a little bit, I suppose, of um, when you said, right, I'm, I'm going to move to this side of this part of who I am now. Um, where did you go to to actually write your stories from? I know that, you know, h- historical has been a big part of it for you as well. How did you decide what style of writing you wanted to do?
1: Um, I didn't decide it. And the truth is, Clayton, you know, I've got to take me back to grade three with my first publication, which was The Royal Beetle Bug in the <laughs> I- MLC school magazine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love
1: it. I love it. It had the word psychedelic, so you can sort of age me. Um, but it was pretty good for grade three kids. Okay. Um, so I think I was always I always loved writing and wrote little stories and books and things like that. Um, but then I I guess I took it more seriously. I, my mum died when I was twenty one, and at the time I remember thinking I've got to write her story. I've got to write the story of my mother's life because it was so incredible, and she. Um, was born in Poland and was a sole survivor of her family after the war, had been in concentration camps and, you know, the whole kind of, you know, horrific tragedy Um, and then came here as a refugee in 1949. So she had quite an amazing life. The problem was I sat down to write her story and, you know, taken a week off and thought, I'm going to write the book, I'm going to get it published, blah, blah, blah. And I could only fill up about three pages of the exercise book, that I, the new one that I'd bought, mm. because I, I'd been a teenager and I'd been just, you know, not really interested and in not wanting to hear it. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was really devastating. And I think I've probably been circling that for most of my writing life. So nice. yeah. I, I guess people say to me, my first novel was The Waiting Room and that came out in 2015. Yeah. And people say, how long did it take you to write? And I guess you know there's different versions. So I think the real version is I probably started writing that book then, yes. and and it got to like I did. I wanted to write my mother's story, but I didn't know it, mm. so I had to turn to fiction to to sort of create a what if. Yes, yeah. And and what if this my mother had gone through these experiences? And so I, I guess I'd been circling that whole material for a long, long time.
0: Yeah. My guest is Leah Kaminsky. Uh, you can have a chat with her as well on one three hundred 899. We're going to be back in just a moment. As we start merging these two worlds, and we want to talk about this, especially in light of uh, what is occurring around the world at the moment. What happens when science and fiction start merging together uh leah is sort of uniquely positioned to talk about this in in interesting and different ways maybe you've got a question to ask of her maybe it's the science and the fiction maybe it's politics and the science and how all that works in together fake news whatever it might be uh you can ask her your question next on 1300 777 899 that's 1300 777 899 in conversation with Clayton eighty nine point nine the light it is positive radio you can call through this evening during in community conversation one three hundred triple seven eight double nine my guest is Leah Kaminsky she is a physician and also author of both The Waiting Room and The Hollow Bones. She's uh, award-winning in her field of humanities, having also gone through, as we heard, uh, through the hard yards of uh, becoming a doctor and uh, practising in that way as well. Um, Leah, we we want to specifically talk, especially during COVID-19, around this idea of how science and fiction blends together and science and politics blends together and these sorts of things uh, also... uh, we're definitely not wanting to take political sides here, and I know both of us aren't trying to get into that sort of storm of things. But as we look over to the states at the moment, we see a pretty clear divide that, um, you know, even things as simple as masks, uh, which are, are sort of fundamentally being said, hey, look, this is a helpful thing for, um, you know, to, to help us in these situations in a, in a humanity in and in a medical sense is being politicised. Um, is this something that you see is... Um, because of sort of mini versions of literature, you know, Twitter or these sorts of things? Where, where does this no. blurring sort of come literature. from? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Look, I, I think what terrifies me the most is when I was re- re- researching The Hollow Bones, um, which is my latest book that came out last year, and I, just a brief... That, that's very much briefly about what happens when science and politics gets into bed together. But but this was based on a true story that I was researching that happened in the 30s pre-war in Germany Um, and a group of scientists, young, very determined scientists uh, led by a zoologist called Ernst Schaeffer were co-opted by Himmler to um, go to Tibet on an expedition in the name of science and the science that that, he, that they were following, or at least Ernst Schaefer, was zoology. Um, but what Himmler wanted them to find were the true origins of the Aryan race. And the, I mean, I'm, I'm getting to today through this, but at the time, the, we're looking at 30, 1936 yeah. in Germany, which was where scientists flocked. You know, all the artists ran off to Italy and France, but German Berlin in particular was sort of a hotbed of scientific study. And here we were, the theories of Albert Einstein um, had been thrown out. The theories of relativity had been thrown out as what they called pseudoscience or Jewish science. And in their place, um, they'd been replaced by something called world ice theory, which I'd never heard of until I started researching this book in German it's called Welt Eislehre mm-hmm. and this had a huge following it was enormous and it, it there were magazines and books and movies and public lectures and and some of the professors in the universities were adopting this and Himmler got hold of it so basically briefly world ice theory says that the ice crystal is the building block of the universe that there is Only one sun and that's ours. And all the other little lights we can see up in the sky are glaciers that have sort of spun off Earth. And that there was a fight between the moon and the sun, an ancient moon, it crashed into Earth where the Himalayas are and it dislodged the city of Atlantis that was underneath the Himalayas. Are you with me?
0: I, I, I am. It's, North quite North a, it's quite a ride. Uh, I'm so getting you right.
1: So here's, here's, here's the deal. The Uber mention the the superior beings from Atlantis came up to the surface and interbred with the ancient Tibetans. So Himmler's theory was I'm going to send these scientists off, anthropologists and you know blah 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 and they're going to look for the origins of the Aryan race in the Tibetans current day Tibetans. Yeah. And if we can find that, we're going to prove that there's a link to the German folk and we can take over swathes of land and it will be ours and it proves our superior origins. Okay? Mm. This was swallowed hook, line and sinker by the German public. Wow. And, wow. and the institutions. So, so Ernst Schaefer, this zoologist who is very, a uh, real scientist, and the anthropologist and the geophysicist that went along, in order to go on this expedition, had to accept this science that they knew was, can we say crap, (laughs) pseudoscience? Yes. Um, And and I guess what really fascinates me here was that, you know, I I was looking at these guys that ended up, they were in the SS, in in the sort of, you know, the top league of, of the Nazi regime. And I was fascinated, where did these scientists go wrong? Where does, you know, a good little boy that grows up in a Thuringian forest playing with birds and squirrels, become an SS officer scientist that's, that's willing to swallow anything and, and drive a Faustian bargain in order to pursue his career and fame. Mm. And what horrified me was that there wasn't one line in the sand. And mm. I researched this really broadly. They were little slippery steps, little, little kind of small steps that he, he took and that all of them took. And it's—I guess for me, it was very much the corruption of innocence, and also like a timely reminder of how society and science can just so easily be co-opted for dark pursuits, yeah. bit by bit. It doesn't yes. all happen at once. And the most horrific thing is that I can see that today. I yeah. can see that happening today.
0: And and, and as you've done that, recent—I mean, it's a fascinating story in all of what it is. And and I think that, as you said, that the the terrifying thing is that it was understood and well sort of accepted by such a mass of people um and we are seeing that what seems to be something very similar in that you know a political figure may say something right now and use a a small amount of science but tweak all the rest and just use sort of sheer charisma or willpower or or or, um you know bias or whatever else it might be and and people are buying into that why do you think um this is occurring as you looked at all that study and you you've had to write that own fiction as well. Um, what's mm-hmm. the, the key things that actually make people say, you know what, I'm going to follow this, even though it, it doesn't sort of seem to fit the, the basic even understanding of science. You know, you don't need to have an understanding of quantum physics to, to get this stuff. It seems like it's the basics are not even being understood. Why do you think there is that shift on, on mass oh, that Craig, people I do that? Wish, I wish
1: I had an answer. <laughs> I wish I had an answer. Um, and I think, you know, everyone's an expert nowadays, especially... Um, but you know, I just I keep going back to what my mother taught me, and she'd lived through a very dark period in in the world, and and you know she said I said what what did you fear the most during World War Two and being in Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen, and she says I, what I feared the most was mass hysteria. Yeah. This was a woman who'd lost her entire family and you know hunger and all the rest of it, and she was terrified of mass of what mass hysteria can do. And I guess for me, you know, I just have to jump on Twitter and write, um, you know, measles vaccine. I don't even have to write a comment on whether I'm for yes. it or against yes. it. I'll just, it the, the hordes will pile on, you know, the anti-vaxxers will vax I don't really know, um, but I suppose this judgment by the masses yeah. really terrifies me. And when a president stands up and says, you know, um, I'm taking hydroxychloroquine... Yep. Uh, in front of the whole world and it has not been tested properly. It hasn't been, you know, the, the, the science is just not behind it. Yeah. And uh, I think that's quite a terrifying state of affairs.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's this fascinating moment between, um, you know, using and abusing our knowledge, um, or, or even blatantly disregarding versus opinion. There, there, is, there is a time for opinion. There's a time for being able to say what, what you, you want to say. But when you're in different positions and with certain things, there, there needs to be some care. And it seems like that's not necessarily happening in the, the, the biggest way at the moment. Uh, you can ask your question of Leah as well. one three hundred triple 899 as we continue this fascinating discussion. Between science, between fiction, between the understanding of politics and the movement of people, as uh, there is belief in that. More questions with Leah on the way next, 1300 777 899. In conversation with Clayton. This is Positive Radio 89.9, The Light in Community Conversation with Clayton. My guest is award-winning author and physician Leah Kaminsky. We're talking to Leah tonight uh, specifically around this mix of science and fiction, uh, which she's written about a lot, and also politics, which she's also written about as we've uh, joined that together. Uh, Leah, I want to talk to you about uh, how do we actually sort of dig through uh, what the news is we, we've said you know especially over in america at the moment it seems like that you know science is being used more for political points than than anything else or, or at least you know it's what it sort of feels like um how do you actually go about it you've had to research a whole lot of your your stories uh, to, to make sure you understand the facts before you then write the fiction on top of it is is there a best way that you even sort of wade through everything to find the truth on something oh gosh the truth
1: is a slippery thing you know <laughs> Clayton, and and we have Headlines screaming at us with all sorts of scientific facts and factoids day in day out you know so if I if I'm confronted with um a fact let's say you know ice cream um helps you lose weight so I guess I I'm always asking myself well what's the claim it's simple but um I need to weigh up this claim how am I going to do that so I read a lot I'll I'll kind of cross-check things. Um, who's saying it? Who who is making this claim? What's their reputation? Who's standing behind it? Is it some? Is it a well-respected source, or is it, you know, Joe Blow's dog that's that's eaten ice cream and lost weight? Um, then what's the evidence? Like, show me the evidence for this. Where where am I going to see this scientific evidence? The research behind it. And you know, Google's a great source for getting all of that. And and how did they get the evidence? Like, you know, did they find out? Did they do some research on unicorns that showed them? You know, there's a fossil of <laughs> a unicorn that had lost weight. So I guess you want to just keep asking questions and trying to get behind the news. And and is there anyone that can back up the claim? You know, is, is there or is there another explanation for it? Um, I guess that's where I start from. I question. I question all the sources. And I go out and I, I look, I research. I do the field work. I do the legwork myself. So I went and chased for Ernst Schaefer when I'd read about him. I went and found his diaries and, and had to translate them, from, you know, with my rudimentary high school German. <laughs> um, and and interviewing people. So I'm, I'm always curious and I'm always not going to take what is, po- you know, proposed as truth or served up as truth, on a plate and eat it, just yeah. not blindly. Yeah. I guess that's just my nature.
0: Yeah, I love it. I like that. Uh, we've uh, said, hey, you can ask Leah a question as well. one three hundred triple 899 Brian from Narywarran North joins us. Brian, you're on with Leah.
2: Thanks for your call. Thank you, Clayton. Um, <clears throat> Leah, look, um, it's an interesting <laughs> interesting discussion with, with politics and science. Uh, I've just recently been reflecting and reading a bit about how... Um, Uh, Angela Merkel, who is of a a, um, chemistry background, uh, and how she explained the the scenario regarding COVID very clearly to, uh, you know, the German people, and they understood it well, uh, and she had a lot of confidence about it. How how can we, as a society, um, either educate our politicians a little bit better or perhaps use scientists to be able to tell the story in a clearer way uh, so that it won't be easily misinterpreted or misunderstood. Um, I, I think sometimes, of course, the, the press are very good at scaremongering scare because that's the way they sell. Yeah, you know, exactly. Various
1: yeah. Things like that.
2: So, so how, how do we get to a, a, some clear, um, clear facts um, and not so much scare tactics uh, to be able to explain things properly to people? Um, you know, I'm thinking about COVID now, and I'm thinking about what, what AIDS was like, in, you know, some time back, and there was a lot of things going on that were not very clear uh, about just how how bad or good or otherwise the situation was so should we yeah. should we send should we send our prime minister to do a year of science would that be good <laughs>
1: Brian, maybe we'll vote you in. Um, <laughs> I, I guess this is what disturbs me and this is what we started out with and what Clayton and I were talking about, when, when science and politics gets into bed. And I, I think, you know, science is not squeaky clean. Like, you know, no, I, no, I, I came to research these scientists in the Third Reich because I'd written my first novel about doctors in the in the Third Reich. And boy, you know, they were right up there in the machinery. And And when you look at war around the world and all sorts of atrocities, doctors and scientists are right up there. So... I I don't really, I guess it comes back to morality and, uh, you know, I I do get despondent on some days um, where, you know, the facts are there and and, and the scientists are screaming it from the rooftops, the the reputable ones, and they're not being listened to because it just doesn't serve the political agenda or they're being sidelined or silenced. Um, And I find that very scary in a democracy in particular.
2: I, I think that is very scary, and I think it, it doesn't allow for for a clear, uh, this clear thinking because people are manipulating the system a little bit to make make some either either um, in some cases scientific points, perhaps their yeah. own way, but in other cases political, uh, you know, gaining political points, and and that's that's not very. I don't think that's good for the populace, really. I think we well, need I to just, you it know
1: you know, we're seeing with climate, with, well, not just with COVID, but we're seeing with climate change and with environmental changes and, and animal extinctions. A lot of my friends in Australia are, you know, top scientists in the world, in, in the field of, of wildlife. And they're, you know, you say to them, they're absolutely despondent with the number of animals that are facing extinction and it's being ignored and their voices are not being heard. And I say to them, well, how do you keep doing what you're doing? And they say, we cry a lot. It's <laughs> <laughs> the sort of, you know, grown men and women. Yeah. So the science is there. I guess yeah. perhaps it's not been communicated well is one thing because scientists are not the best communicators in the world um, and I, that's what I really push is, is good science communication. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. Well,
1: uh, and the funding, I guess, you know.
0: Yeah, around that as well. Brian, we thank you so much for your questions. It uh, got us thinking a whole new way. Thank you very much. Thank you, Clayton. Good on you. Thank you so so much. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Um, Absolutely. And I think, you know, as we we talk about these various sides of of things as well, to to make sure back to, as we started this just discussion in this moment, to uh, research well, um, uh, as well as hopefully we can actually, you know, maybe it is, a bit of media training for our scientists or a bit of science training for our politicians, and both of those may actually work as we that move forward. That's a great idea.
1: It, it does <laughs>
0: indeed. Uh, we're going to be back with Leah Kaminsky in just a couple of minutes' time. We're going to talk a, a little bit more around all of these issues, and you can also play your part, uh, your questions on 1300 777 899. In Conversation with Clayton. 89.9 The Light. This is Positive Radio. You're in community conversation with Clayton. Uh, your calls on 1300 777 899. Leah Kaminsky is my special guest. She's uh, an award-winning author. Uh, she's also a physician. We're talking about the mix of uh, both science and fiction, also science and politics and Uh, the way those things are working at the moment. Um, One of the things that I know you're also incredibly passionate about, Leo, is uh, around uh, what is occurring, and you mentioned it when we had our call with Brian a couple of moments ago as well, around what is happening for for the animals around our world. And in fact, that's uh, a big part of this most recent book that you've uh, sort of uh, written about as well, uh, as we mentioned a bit earlier on. Did your passion for animals come as you you sort of read through and, and studied this book, or was that always a part of it for you?
1: I think I've always, always um, loved animals, Um, so this was a natural outgrowth of that. Um, I I actually, I must confess, I didn't get into vet school. That was my top preference. (laughs) (laughs) So I I missed out by one mark, so I got into medical school instead, (laughs) but um, that's the truth. But I do love animals. I'm, I'm I'm a crazy animal lover. So when I researched this scientist who was a zoologist and a and a Tibetan uh, uh, expert in Tibetan ornithology in birds, um, that was just fascinating for me. And I actually was um, lucky enough to be in Philadelphia on Book Tour for my previous book, and found. Um, all of the archives, because Schaefer, the the main character of the book, had been doing a joint um, German-American PhD at the time. So all of his archives and his work were housed in the Academy of uh, Natural Sciences in Philadelphia. And even a panda that he had shot in the wild on an earlier expedition to Tibet is now in a diorama there. So I sat down and looked at this panda cub and thought, "Wow, you just hold so many stories. You hold this man's entire story." <laughs> I sound a bit crazy, but <laughs> I'm a writer. Um, uh, but I guess for me, the fact that you know the thousands of specimens that were pillaged from the wild that are now sitting in all of our museums around the world will have a lot of stories to tell if we could ask them.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so, in a way, it's it's also me looking at the morality of of how we plunder the world for our own um, whatever needs for glory for food for (laughs) clothing for everything else we plunder the natural world
0: and I suppose as we we talk about this understanding, you know, today we're talking about the the science and understanding of it. It's once again comes back to this unique perspective that we keep coming back to around the communication of that, doesn't it? Um, as we communicate yeah. these things well, um, there does seem to be action. As others maybe uh, you know push something aside or, or or move things out of there, then there's issues that occur around that. What do you think in terms of the communication of? Understanding the uh, the health and well-being of animals around the world, is there something more that needs to happen? Where are you thinking?
1: oh gosh, it's it's sort of some days I wake up and it's a bit overwhelming, but I think you know for me, my i'm I'm not the sort of person that's going to to get up and walk with a placard you know in in a protest. I'm too much of a wimp for that, so I guess my writing is my activism. and for me, trying to give voice to animals is what i'm trying to do in this book in in the hollow bones and i'm actually now i have a book coming out that i've um edited together with meg keneally that's coming out with penguin at the end of the year just before christmas which is a fundraiser for a couple of wildlife organizations where we've got writers and scientists and and public figures to write about their passion for a particular australian animal Um, and we've got photographers so for me i guess writing is my way of trying to um engage people and change behavior and 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 perhaps just tap their tap into their sort of hearts and souls and to we're very detached from nature nowadays in the city and yep. and to make people sort of come back to that again
0: Absolutely. Leah, it's been a pleasure having a chat to you. We wish you all the best with that new book coming out and uh, thank you for sharing a bit of your expertise today as well as just getting us thinking in different ways around this topic. We thank you so much for your time. Thank you
1: so much for listening. Really appreciate it.